I Think Therefore I Fan podcast is generously supported by our listeners. If you would like to support I Think Therefore I Fan, please go to our webpage at ithinkthereforeifan.com. That's all one word. Click on the link that says donate and follow the instructions. Your support is greatly appreciated. And as always, thank you very much for listening. Spoiler warning time. In this episode, we discuss 28 Days Later, The Hills Have Eyes, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Sweeney Todd, Chud, that's cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers, The Silence of the Lambs, and Hannibal. You've been warned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think, Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. In today's episode, we'll talk about cannibalism. Mmm, cannibalism. There are some interesting moral dimensions to cannibalism, and I'm not sure our ordinary practices and moral judgments about cannibalism are all that justified. Mm -hmm. So we can have some conversation about that. So what, what elements of pop culture involve cannibalism? Well, horror, for Mm -hmm. sure. There's, there's tons of it in horror movies. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why we picked it for October. We'll we'll have a chance to talk about a, a lot of them, but you know, maybe my very favorite horror film ever is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's a good one. Um, that's when I really started to love horror. Um, I'm not a cannibal, but that's when I really started to love barbecue. Um, it just, it just looked good. Um, the, the first time I saw it was at the drive-in, um, movie theater and, um, not to implicate myself, um, well, what the heck? I wasn't driving. Um, but there were three of us in the front, three in the back and two people in the trunk and, (laughs) It was before the, the driving in our town switched over to a pay-by-the-car-load oh. <laughs> format. And um, then they got out of the trunk when we got in there, and we were all just crammed into this car. It was great fun. Oh, sounds like fun. I really liked the Hannibal Lecter books and movies. Oh, that yeah. That's one of my favorite cannibal stories. I, I kind of look like Hannibal Lecter. You do? Yeah, just <laughs> sort of, you know, dumpy and balding. Um, <laughs> that's not how I think of Hannibal Lecter. No, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it, it, you know, it's just a superficial um, resemblance. What other movies do we include cannibalism? Uh, the Hills Have Eyes. The Hills Have Eyes, yeah. So it's particularly scary when some crazy people from the hills come and try to eat your whole family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, good advice for everyone. Don't, don't go to where the hills are, right? I mean... There's dozens of these movies. People, they're out there. They're back in the middle of nowhere. They think... Been exposed to radiation let's, let's turn down this road for no good reason. Oh, look. There's a house. Um, let's just go inside it. Right? It's a bad plan. Um, you probably don't remember this, but in the 1980s, there was a, a film that was just so awful that, that I couldn't stop loving it. Um, and that was CHUD, right? C-H-U-D, which stood for Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers. <laughs> so these, these people like, were moved into the sewers, and because of um, you know, radioactive stuff in the sewers, they became mutants. 
and they, they ate homeless people. Um, and, and the government thought that was good, so they, you know, it solved the homeless problem, so they, they allowed it to occur. It sounds like... Tell plucky heroes found out. <laughs> we have this tendency to, in, our, in, in horror films to connect being a mutant with cannibalism. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the kind of thing that would really tick off Magneto from the X-Men. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because most mutants aren't as discriminating as, as you would like. Although, you know, like the, the mutant in The Last Skeleton of Cadaver didn't, didn't seem to be a, a cannibal. It was just kind of made out of foam rubber and, and mutiny. <laughs> okay, well, we tend to think about cannibalism as being morally wrong. I would say in our culture, we, that, that's a common attitude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think definitely in the ways in which it happens in these movies, we'd have to agree. Mm-hmm. So you might think, but, but it, it seems to me to be an open question about whether there is truly anything morally wrong with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, important caveat. What I have in mind is the mere act of eating human flesh or eating the flesh of a member of your own species. So there's clearly something wrong, or at least wrong in most cases, with killing someone for the purposes of eating them. But even that, I mean, the strong moral prohibition that exists... Is a pretty self-interested one, right? We say, "Oh my gosh, you should like never capture humans, kill them, and eat them." But by the way, do that to any other species you like, right? And unless you know you love them, right? If fluffy or something, you, you don't do that. But sure, you know, eat, right. a, eat a tuna, eat a pig, right? We'll we'll come back to that too. So one relevant moral consideration might be your motivation for eating the flesh. Mm-hmm. So I recently read a book called Cannibalism by Bill Shute. Uh, I, I, I listened to it on Audible. It was, a fun, it was fun to listen to. Uh, there were lots of chapters about how all sorts of species engage in cannibalism. It's actually a fairly common occurrence. We try, mm-hmm. tend to treat it like this aberration, but it actually happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain species of uh, frogs where the tadpoles... Some of the tadpoles will develop these massive mouths with these fangs for mm-hmm. the purpose of eating the other tadpoles. Like tad molars or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, so it's, it's, it's a common practice. So we don't, we don't tend to, to understand it as a bad practice when it occurs in nature. It's not like we're, you know, when, when I, I would think that we, we would think the same thing when one tadpole eats another that we would think, say, when a lion eats a gazelle, mm-hmm. right? We don't go, ooh, that's abhorrent. That's particularly, a particularly bad instance of taking the life of another. Right, we just right. think, oh, no, some, some beings are predators and some beings are prey out in the natural world, and that can occur within a species. Right. If a bird can eat a tadpole, why can't a tadpole eat, eat a, tadpole? a tadpole? Right. Especially if the tadpole is tasty to the tadpole. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, one quick answer to that is that... Uh, Non-human animals aren't members of the moral community in the sense that they are incapable of recognizing the nature of moral obligation or the interests of others and things like that, at least some animals. And so that means that any, any sort of moral principles that might govern why it's wrong to eat a member of your own species just wouldn't apply to them because they're the wrong kinds of things. Right. Okay. So let, let's tie this in with the pop culture a little bit. Um, Due to either radiation um, 
or inbreeding, right? In, in most of these movies, mm-hmm. we'll just take inbreeding for example. The hills have eyes. Um, when when you see the the people there, they're they're an awful lot like how we normally classify animals, right? They're 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 like non non-human animals operating on their most base desires. So you said a, a little while back that you know we're not suggesting that it might be moral to kill another human and eat them, um, but the lion eats the gazelle, the tadpole eats the tadpole, um, the inbred hillbilly <laughs> eats the the young scandally clad college <laughs> kids that went down that road because there was no good reason to do so at all. Um, why why are they on the hook morally? Or maybe they're not. What, what, what's your take on that? It depends on how far from human we want to understand them to be. I mean, in the hills have eyes. These, these people don't seem to be communicating, if I remember correctly. They're just kind of grunting. But, you know, they, they're human enough that they put on clothes and form attachments to certain objects. They, they, they like to sit in a chair and, and that kind of thing. My intuition is that the, those kinds of behaviors demonstrate an ability to reflect on their actions. I mean, I guess if, if they're actually, due to their you know, deformed state or whatever, uh, exposure to radioactivity... If that makes them incapable of distinguishing right from wrong, mm-hmm. then we—I mean, then that's the legal definition of insane. Right. So you're so, on board for some human-on-human cannibalism that involves live humans. Well, I wouldn't say I was on board. <laughs> I just would say uh, I would say that that's that's an instance where maybe the the mutants aren't morally blameworthy if mm-hmm. they are incapable of distinguishing right from wrong. Some of these other cases, though, are, are fairly straightforward. Uh, the intentions are something pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So, in the Silence of the Lambs, obviously. But he's so refined. I know. It's almost so like his motivations are eating human flesh just to be fancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Fancy feast on human flesh. <laughs> or out of a sense of disdain. Mm-hmm. He tends to eat people for whom he has contempt. Right. The, the great scene with um, Ray Liotta in, um, was it Hannibal? Hannibal, yeah, at the end of Hannibal. Where, where he gets him to eat his own brains. Yeah. You know, that's true contempt. It's like, you're beneath me to eat, but you deserve to be eaten. You eat yourself. I'll get, I'll get you to do it. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Jeffrey Dahmer type, for example, right? He's not going to fall in the hillbilly category. He's really messed mm-hmm. up. Um, you know, if if you were to defend this guy in court, you would point to his cannibalism as an instance of his depravity, his insanity, right? You'd you'd say, look, obviously he's insane, but he wouldn't he wouldn't be insane in the way that the hillbillies might be, as we've described him, right. right? He's he's culpable on the hook. And then in Sweeney Todd, they're killing the people to make them into pies. Mm-hmm. There's there's a, a bit of it there that's uh, about retribution, at least with some of the some of the people that die by the barber's blade there. Mm-hmm. But uh, plenty of them don't seem to be. They just seem to be, well, we need some meat for our pies. Yeah, uh, yeah. So Business was suddenly booming, right? You can't you can't let your momentum come to a screeching halt. But one thing I'd point out about all of these cases that we're identifying is it's not the act of cannibalism itself. It's not the consumption of human flesh that's morally problematic. It's the it's, killing. It's the killing. Yeah. In the book on cannibalism that I mentioned... The author goes through some of the historical motivations for cannibalism among humans. And first of all, he raises some general skepticism for 
the idea that cannibalism even has ever took place to any significant degree. Now, of course, there are cases like the Donner Party or something like mm-hmm. that, but everybody everybody knows what happened there or right. knows some facts about what happened there uh, and that ca- cannibalism did indeed occur. But it, there are there have been rumors through time that different cultures, tribes or what have you, have engaged in acts of cannibalism. And some people are skeptical of that because this cannibalism has been a an accusation that's used in a political way. So famously, um, when Columbus met with native persons and wanted to use them as slaves and what have you, one of the ways he was able to get away with this is by reporting back home that they were cannibals. And so then got the green light to do whatever he wanted right. with them they're because just they're more, they're that, depraved. Right. right. So, uh, so there's lots of reason to, reasons to think that some of the claims about whether cannibalism actually took place are politicized. Mm-hmm. But there is some reason to believe that some cultures have engaged in cannibalism for at least two reasons. Mm-hmm. And that it, one is as a sign of respect. So when they eat their dead relatives, mm-hmm. it's a funerary practice. And then another common motivation for, for cannibalism, to the extent that there is a common motivation for cannibalism, mm-hmm. but is that is is victory in battle. So the after a battle, when enemies are killed, the the victorious tribe might eat some some parts of the body mm-hmm. to show dominance or something like right, that. Right, right. It's the earlier version. I'm gonna cut off your head and crap down your neck, kind of thing. <laughs> oh my! People say that. <laughs> don't don't try that at home, kids. <laughs> so let's back up just a little bit. I have a question. So the the author is looking at the motivation, but he's skeptical of it. But he's only skeptical in most instances. So he'll acknowledge some instances beyond mere survival Donner Party things. And that's the motivation that he sort of empirically tries to get at? Or? Well, what he does is just kind of surveys a bunch of literature on it mm-hmm. and, and points out. He, he's not, he doesn't seem like he's really taking that much of an active... Um, he's not making a positive claim. He's just m- making his readers aware that... The literature would show this motivation, that motivation, this motivation, and well, he's dubious of some of it. No, what, what I was trying to convey is that He's reporting that the researchers themselves are dubious of it. Some, some, oh, okay. some of the individuals conducting research are dubious, skeptical that cannibalism even ever takes place to any significant degree. Got it, got it. Uh, but so then, just to, to come back to the Donner Party, there are clear cases where this takes place. Um, and in many of these cases, what happens is somebody dies and then they eat them. Mm-hmm. Right. So to me... It's not clear what the moral wrongness is involved there. Right, right. So I'm reminded of this this great skit from the first or second season of Saturday Night Live, right? And Dan Aykroyd and um, Lorraine Newman are these sort of animal-loving hippies that, that have this restaurant. Um, but they serve, they serve meat, but all the, all the animals have to die of natural causes, right? So the people are in the restaurant waiting to, you know, get their food. And they say, well, I'll have the lamb. And they're like, oh, we got one that's really sick. And, you know, and it, people will be like, we've been here for three hours. Like, look, this lamb's doing really bad. It's, it's going to be any minute now. 
So the same kind of thing with cannibalism. Right? You've, you've got a taste for human flesh. Um, you, you, you know, suppose you've got a little gas station like in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, but you respect the moral prohibition. But as you're pointing out, it ends at the point where the humans are dead. So you just kind of hover around sickly people, maybe follow ambulances. And, um, <laughs> if you're really that committed to eating human flesh. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, or at least or at least that, the, if, if there's a claim to be made that it still is morally unacceptable, then that claim needs to be defended. We need to see why. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people will say things like, well, it's unsanitary. I've read, in, in that book that I mentioned, uh, Cannibalism, there was some reason to be dubious that it really is as bad for your health as everybody suggests. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then that's that's not a moral reason not to eat meat. That's a pragmatic reason not to eat human flesh. Right. Or if it is a moral reason just because you shouldn't do things that harm yourself, yeah. it, it would be the same kind of yeah. moral prohibition or the same sort of moral prohibition would apply to eating things like pork rinds and, you know... Other things, things that are harmful. Things with too much butter that are harmful, right? Um, yeah. Okay, I can imagine cases in which you might think the consumption of human flesh is bad if the motivations are of a particular kind. Um, so, for example, if, if a person is already dead, but you consume their flesh as a sign of disrespect or contempt mm-hmm. right they in battle sort of thing right yeah. yeah um or even i'm just thinking um a serial killer now this case isn't going to work because the serial killer would kill the victim but um the serial killer might have sexual motivations for eating flesh mm-hmm. they might have uh you know they might be motivated by an intense desire to show disrespect mm-hmm uh, but presumably they wouldn't wait around for people to die of natural causes so they can eat their flesh out of disrespect. Right. But, you know, you're walking down the street and somebody kills over and you just happen to be there, right? So you're not, you're not actively waiting. Um, <laughs> still, if it were disrespectful, you'd think there's a prohibition against it. Just like there might be a prohibition against, you know, someone dies, you don't like them, and you feed them to your, your dogs or something, right? Right. There's a scene from Hannibal where... Someone gets fed to the pigs. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Plenty of pigs in horror movies <laughs> and shows, right? There's all the, 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 the pigs from various seasons of American Horror Story, um, the, the pigs from Hannibal, there's the, the pigs in Saw. Yeah. One potential difficulty in identifying the moral badness of cannibalism, if there is any moral badness, is that there's not really a subject involved. Now, you might be a person who believes in a soul, and so you might think the, the dead person is now in some other place, and they might be harmed by witnessing their body being consumed or something, I don't know. Um, As opposed to watching their body decompose. Yeah. It seems like it's all, you know, kind of, yeah. what happens next to, to their body is kind yeah. of irrelevant. Yeah, Although, they're... you know, we want to maintain that certain sorts of practices with dead bodies are still mm-hmm. uh, morally problematic, or at least... Yucky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you don't go all Bentham and, you know, take your dead relative to the taxidermist and put him on a chair and <laughs> the entryway to your home, for instance. Yeah, unless you're in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right, right. <laughs> right. 
But those guys are actually kind of still alive, right? I've, like I've grandparents? always wondered, right? It seems like they're dead, but then they're moving, and it just seems like they're bad actors. But <laughs> maybe they just are supposed to look bad, but not dead. So if there's one way of cashing out the moral badness of cannibalism where you say something, you appeal to the distinction between direct and indirect duties. So I'll just kind of go over that just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I may have a direct, du- a direct duty to, to say you or other members of the moral community uh, not, to, not to harm you uh, mm-hmm. or not to, uh, not to lie to you or to keep my promises. But I may also have indirect duties. So maybe the most famous example of this is Kant's discussion of uh, what our obligations are to animals. So animals for Kant are sort of the medium through which I exercise a duty to other people. So he thinks that we don't have direct duties to animals not to harm them, but rather when we practice harm on animals... Uh, we're doing harm against our fellow members of the moral community, fellow human beings, mm. uh, because now we're developing traits or tendencies toward cruelty or things like that. Right. right. So you might think that consumption of human flesh, though it's it's not, you can't assign a subject to the harm um, in the sense of you know the person who's deceased. You might think, although I'm not sure this is plausible, that plausible, that you're harming humanity by treating human flesh as something to be consumed. Mm-hmm. So this leads me to uh, another path I wanted to go down on this topic, which is that what you might consider the moral badness involved in this situation to be the badness of objectification, mm-hmm. that you're treating... An, someone who either is or was once an autonomous being as if they're a thing yeah, yeah. to be consumed. But then I would point out, and we kind of talked about this earlier, that if you feel that way about human flesh, you should rightly think feel that way about non-human animal flesh as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because non-human animals are subjects of, subjects of lives. They have experiences. They may not have... Their experiences may not be of uh, quite as diverse a kind as ours, mm-hmm. but they do have experiences. And when we consume them, we treat them as mere objects. So uh, if you think that's the badness of cannibalism, if you want to maintain that cannibalism is bad, uh, right. you're going to have to <clears throat> apply the same reasoning to non-human animals mm-hmm. um, if, if the badness lies in objectification. Right. So, you know, they, they say one man's modus ponens is another man's modus tollens. I wonder if in, say, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they're not employing the exact same reasoning, um, but approaching it from the other angle. That what? If it's okay yeah, to kill We do animals? this stuff to animals, we might as well do it to humans, <laughs> right? right? If, if animals can be barbecue, humans can be barbecue. One interesting new development, of course, is the development of in vitro meat. Mm-hmm. So in vitro meat is meat that is created by uh, taking a biopsy of an animal and then um, then essentially growing meat through a process of cell culturing. And this is this is meat that people think may be on the shelves of the uh, yeah, the grocery store in the next five to ten years, maybe sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and. Uh, it, it involves no cruelty to animals other than the taking of a biopsy. So, Before you yeah. say any more, let, let me ask you about 
what you take people's reactions to be. So I had an intuition when I first heard about this a while back. I thought that that overwhelmingly people are going to not like something about it. I mean, oh, it's yeah. scary. That's... It's it's sciencey. The people that I've talked to, and I I might be you know in a bit of an echo chamber with the you know the circles I run in, um, but I most people seem to just go. Oh, that's great! And and they see they see the virtues. I don't hear a lot of the negative, but oh, I'm guessing you do. I do. Yeah, I've had right. I've had this this conversation in a number of different forums. Right, and you lecture on this, so you're talking to students, and I'm yeah. just talking to academics. So you have academics to right. and people who are vegetarian, and, but <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't mind a, a burger at the barbecue. I just don't want it so long as it's cruelty free. Yeah, uh, yeah, truly cruelty free. The cage free egg crowd. That's those are my people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I frequently get the ew, gross reaction. You do? Okay. Yeah. Um, that, 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 what's, what's strange about that is that if you know what practices look like inside of factory farms, mm-hmm. um, where animals are packed together in very tight spaces, there's, it's not kept clean, mm-hmm. right? You would probably think there's diseases that can be spread pretty quickly and easily. Um, you'd probably be inclined to think that laboratory conditions, the clinical laboratory conditions are much less gross than what goes right. on at factory farms. Yeah, your, your dinner has never been anywhere disgusting ever. And, <laughs> and, and scientists can actually engineer it that meat to be healthier, better for your, yeah, better for your overall health. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the development of this technology, we really can explore this issue of objectification and whether we think uh, uh, objectification. If you're objectifying a being by eating it, that's a deal breaker. Um, or if we think that the good that could be done, uh, the reduction in suffering that could occur as a result of the development of in vitro meat would, would, uh, justify treating individuals as objects just for the purposes of taking the biopsy. Right. But the, the other thing that's interesting to pursue is that if you could take a biopsy of, uh, a, a non-human animal, there's no reason in principle it would seem why you couldn't take a biopsy from a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't really seem like there's any there's any substantive moral reason not to. I mean, maybe we could go back to our conversation from earlier about what your what your intentions are. So if you're if you're consuming flesh for sadistic reasons, are, there are autonomy issues, right? I mean, you'd, you'd have to oh, have right. volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't do that with the animals, and, and as you were yeah. saying before, the parity of reasoning would suggest that whatever's objectionable about taking a little bit of flesh to get a culture going mm-hmm. from some person against their will has got to be just as right. um, unethical as, as doing the same thing to some non-human animal that, that um, not only didn't give consent, wasn't in a position to. Right. We typically, our law reflects this, this, this value that we have that if a, a being is not capable of giving consent, it's wrong to violate that being in any way. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so it, it, yeah, maybe if it's even morally worse. Today we talked to Trey Waldrum, AJ Scooby, Dane Barnes, and Michelle DeVries. And we asked them the question, what, if anything, is morally objectionable about cannibalism? 
So let's hear what Michelle DeVries had to say. So I don't necessarily think that cannibalism is morally objectionable. Um, I think it's all in how you acquire the meat, which I know sounds weird and kind of macabre, but, um, you know, under the assumption that we could get edible meat from other humans that, you know, didn't give us kuru or some other disease, um, I don't see it as being morally objectionable if that person who died or the, the person's body, like they gave it to be eaten, um, similar to donating your body to science or something like that. Um, it all comes down to, I guess, how you feel mostly in religious ways. I'm an atheist, so I plan to donate my body to science. And if my body could be given to starving people to help them, yeah, I'd be fine with it. Um, If someone was killing me for my meat, on the other hand, that obviously would not be okay with me. Um, So yeah, I think it comes down to, you know, extraordinary circumstances like plane crash, desert island type things. Obviously, most people are going to say if that's your only resort to survive. The other person has already passed. Yeah, you know, do what you need to do. Um, but otherwise, yeah, if you know, I realize that uh, supply and demand might be something of an issue if we did have a way to eat other humans successfully without getting sick. Um, but if people, if you only did it if people chose to donate their bodies to that, um, I don't necessarily see anything wrong with it. Okay, Dame Barnes, what, if anything, is morally objectionable about cannibalism, in your opinion? In general, I don't see anything morally wrong with cannibalism, under the stipulation that it's a consensual act. might even go as far as to say that cannibalism is more moral than eating any other animal, because consent could be given from a person, but not from an animal. Um, This could be exemplified if we started making in vitro human meat. The original sample could be donated by some generous people and then grown to provide totally ethical meat. Um, Perhaps even vegans would be all right with trying a human steak. Perhaps the social stigma from cannibalism comes from the disease that we can get from a result of eating human flesh. Something like ancient civilizations learned not to eat other humans, and then it's been passed down through the generations. But the risk can be severely reduced by not consuming the brain and cooking the meat thoroughly. So with these precautions in place, we could have a whole new food source become available to us and reduce the impact on the environment, as well as reduce the need for any farmed meat. To bring the topic to the spooky theme of the month, uh, the question of zombies being cannibals, I don't think a zombie is an actual cannibal. They are seen as human. They aren't seen as human, sorry. (laughs) And they are part of the species of undead. So a zombie feeding off of a human is more like us eating a cow. Um, But if a zombie kept their cognitive ability like something in Resident Evil, where they're infected with a virus, where they get reanimated, uh, I'd say they are cannibal in that sense. Um, And then something like 28 Days Later, where humans are infected with a virus, but they're not actually like a Resident Dead sort of situation, I'd say they're cannibals too. And probably immoral unless for some crazy reason, a human wanted to be eaten by an infected. Um, yeah, that's about all I got. AJ Scooby, let's hear your thoughts on cannibalism. All right. So if anything, I believe that uh, cannibalism is kind of like one of those things. 
it's it's up there with either like murder because you need to either like have a dead person rapidly available or available at any sort of you know time or it's uh kind of up there with assault depending on if the person is still alive because that's probably not pleasant being eaten so given that we tend to think that murder or defiling of a corpse or assault is not exactly good morals i i i'd have to assume that you know cannibalism is not exactly a good thing and it's most people would definitely like object to that sort of thing if in a very general consensus trey waldron what do you find morally objectionable if anything at all about cannibalism so what is morally objectionable about cannibalism if there's anything at all a tough statement i would say that it depends on how you value human life and human existence as a whole uh, to follow a sort of a more uh, a biblical in- interpretation do you believe in some sort of divinity of the soul or some sort of uh, inherent human value if that is the case then it would be morally objectionable to cannibalize another for that is the consuming of that spark of another person however you also have cases where it is an emergency situation and you may even die if you don't partake in that activity despite despite its objectionability so i think that's ultimately the what the question comes down to how do you value human life and does it change whether it's an emergency situation or whether it's not And that's what I think about that. Today's listener musing comes from Christian. Christian writes, I usually don't like horror movies because I don't like gore. It seems like horror movies always involve people doing bad things to one another. Do you think that there's anything that is unethical to portray in a horror film? Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, I think just the opposite. I, I think Christian is morally obligated to cowboy up. <laughs> and to the extent that Christian has not cowboyed up, he's, he's doing humanity and himself a disservice. <laughs> because he's not giving horror movies their fair shake. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, it goes back to what you were saying about, you know, the objectification and just treating mm-hmm. humans or things in mm-hmm. certain lights. But um, there's that element of it. I think that's a really small bad consequence um, that can be contrasted with a, just a whole sea of good consequences that the entertainment value, the escapism. Can you tell me what, what is it that you're identifying as a bad consequence? Oh, the, you know, if I don't even think I believe this, right? But as we were talking earlier, you know, that there might be something bad about doing certain things to human beings because it views them as objects. Okay, right? so like, like in a slasher film or something like that. Yeah, yeah, just... But then... Even then... Glorifying bad people doing bad things. Okay, okay. And not. All right. Because that wouldn't be an instance of actually treating people as objects because it's in film, right? Right, right. So... Just portray- the portraying of that might be said to perpetuate um, certain kinds of things. But, that, again, it strikes me as really minor when you compare it with, 
you know, all the creativity that goes into these things and comes out of them. It's, it's art, you know, art is valuable for its own sake. Um, it's, you know, writers expressing themselves and actors expressing themselves. Um, the, the way people feel when they go to the movies or read a really good book or watch a good show. Mm-hmm. And especially with horror, I mean, um, you know, there's something about the sort of recipe for a horror film where even if some of it is, um, you know, maybe a little um, overused, you know, and I'm thinking you're, you're in the theater, it's getting really silent and you know that something's going to jump out of you and startle you out of your wits, right? Um, in those moments, it, it's almost impossible not to sort of escape in a way that, mm-hmm. you know, if, if I'm watching a lecture, say a philosophy lecture by a boring philosopher, um, I could be there hearing the words, but the whole time I'm thinking, hmm, maybe later for dinner I'll, you know, make tacos and I'll be looking at my watch and I wonder if anything's on my phone. Um, that doesn't happen in horror films, uh, for me. If, if the horror film is even halfway decent. Yeah, even, even bad horror films, right? But if I'm, if I'm at a boring drama, you know, I'm, you, you've seen me at the movies. Um, I just sit there, I look like I'm paying attention. I'm like, oh, look at my watch here. I wonder if, you know, if anything happened on Facebook, right? Um, so, the, the, I mean, that's just one of the many things I think that's great about horror, right? So if you're doing this kind of consequentialist analysis, there's not too much, in my mind, that speaks against it. And, it, and it's the, the case I made in the beginning, you know, admittedly was a bit of a straw man. I think it's a, a stretch to even get that as... That is bad. But what do, you, what do you think? Well, I think one a person might be concerned that if, uh, you know, beings are being treated poorly in a horror film, it might make, or we're being encouraged to desensitize ourselves to that, that that'll cause us to treat people poorly uh, in the real world. And I think that's, that's an empirical claim that would just have to be backed up by evidence. Right. It's like all these claims made that video games rot your brain. My intuition is you know, most video games involve some sort of problem solving. Um, it's, it's, it's just more immersive storytelling. So, uh, especially when the games are good. So these, these claims that people make, they're, they're kind of common sense sort of intuition based claims about what's likely to happen. Mm-hmm. And we need a little more than that. Um, I also wonder, this is in line with what something you said a minute ago. Um, I wonder if horror sort of serves a similar role as comedy. Mm-hmm. So uh, that we, so comedy will give us this outlet to kind of calm down, right? And, and make light of things that we might not ordinarily make light of. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we, we're, we put ourselves in a different sort of headspace. We allow ourselves that. And I think that can be tremendously psychologically healthy. Right. Uh, Cathartic value. Right. So we spend so much of our lives terrified of various things. Mm-hmm. Um, to put ourselves in, in a scenario where we say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be intentionally terrified in a controlled environment. Being in control of that fear, there's probably something valuable. That said, I'm almost never scared at a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, there have yeah. been a few out there. I've maintained for a long time that The Exorcist is the scariest horror film. Uh, I was genuinely scared watching The Exorcist. Some some others, too. Um, yeah, I was 12 or 13 when I first saw it. And I, me, too. I was yeah. frightened every single night for, I don't know, how long. I, 
get into bed and you know, turn off the lights, not in that order. Um, and then I would just be there going, oh man, I'm going to get possessed. I know it. <laughs> I wasn't scared of being possessed. I was just afraid of that little girl who was possessed. So you, was you're you're afraid of, of possessed people. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they don't worry me nearly as much as actually being possessed myself. I'm just picturing, oh, oh man, so many disturbing images. Uh, like I, it, it would be more like a fear that I would look over and see, you know, Reagan's head spinning around or her walking mm. in that back bend down the stairs or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to see that. Yeah, at at the time, uh, my family was Methodist, and we were all just kind of going through the motions, right? So I wasn't even part of a religion that believed in possession. (laughs) um, But you know, I I I was convinced it could happen. Um, I'm not actually positive that it that it didn't. Sometimes I do some weird stuff. We don't need to go there. (laughs) All right. Well, um, interesting to end up talking about um, possession when we got a listener musing from a guy named Christian. Ooh. But um, thank you, Christian. Thanks, Christian. So what are we liking this week, Rach? We haven't had much time this week, but we did take some time to sit down and watch a horror movie classic with our son. Or suspense movie. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. A little, little bit of a horror movie. So... Yeah, that was a lot of fun. He's um, 13, so we thought it was time that he watched Psycho. And um, sometimes it's hard to get him to enjoy things that were um, created more than, say, 40 seconds ago. (laughs) But he he seemed to really like this. Yeah, Um, well, it's it's a fantastic movie. So I don't know how he could fail to like it. Yeah, yeah, no, he 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 got sucked in. It was um, it was great. Uh, so we we haven't watched much this week or uh, consumed much pop culture at all because we've been hard at work on other things. But I will po- just mention something that I'm interested in watching. And then sure. maybe we'll be able to report on that uh, in next week's mm-hmm. uh, What Are We Liking? But I, I, from what I can tell on social media, everybody's really liking this uh, haunt, The Haunting of Hill House. Oh yeah, the Netflix um, show. I'm I'm pretty excited about seeing that too. My understanding is that it's horror and it's uh, it's actually decently long, so it's a real treat. Mm-hmm. To there's a lot to dig into there. Yeah, good. So long is it? Several episodes as a miniseries. My um, understanding is that it's like ten hours long. Um, does one big long show? Oh no, no, it's not okay. It's I'm I've got my phone here. I'm looking. It's it's actually 10 episodes. 10 episodes. So, like a mini-series. Okay, so we will have watched some portion of that. Yeah, it'll um, be fun for Halloween. By, by next week, be very Halloween-y and um, good. We'll, All right. We'll report back. That's a wrap. Episode 7 is in the can, and once again, everything has come up Charbonneau. <laughs> Did this episode make you hungry at all? A little bit. A little bit. I don't think that reflects so well on either of us. Um, All right, what what do we got going next week? Well, next week is the last episode of the first season. So we're sad. (laughs) So we're going to do these seasons in eight episodes, and then we'll take a month off in between. Mm -hmm. So our final episode will be to sort of wrap up our the Halloween month is going to be the philosophy in American Horror Story. 
Oh, great. My favorite show. So we'll be... Yo. Yeah. It's one of my favorites, too. So we'll be interviewing... We recently uh, did an edited collection on American Horror Story and Philosophy, and we'll be talking to some of the contributors to that volume. Great. So it'll be a series of interviews and some great discussion. You don't want to miss it. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. See you next week. See you next week. Bye.